Our scripture reading this morning is in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. In the Red Pew Bible, it can be found on page 780, 780. It is definitely a privilege to read God's word with you this morning. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handling him, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guards at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. The Red Sox (laughs) and the Yankees are playing when Derek Jeter hits a ball off the green monster and he slides into second base. Dustin Pedroia applies the tag, but Jeter is safe at second. And Jeter mumbles something to the effect of thank God, which triggers this brief exchange at second base between Jeter and Pedroia. I didn't know you were religious, Pedroia says. Sure am, Jeter answers. Pedroia pushes a little bit more. If you're so religious, then let me hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. I bet you 50 bucks you can't do it. You're on, Jeter said, and he begins. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And, And Jeter smiles with satisfaction. Pedroia in disbelief shakes his head and says, I owe you 50 bucks. I didn't think you could do it. (laughs) I threw them both under the bus. It's only fair. When it comes to prayer, we sometimes pray with our minds on hold and our mouths on automatic. Have you ever gone to pray giving thanks for the meal, even though it wasn't (laughs) mealtime? 
Your mouth just kind of went on automatic. Well, prayer is more than saying certain phrases and words in order to move the hand of God. Kind of like the young schoolboy who, after turning his test in on capitals, prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, please make Tokyo the capital of Mexico. It's not going to matter. He can persist in that prayer all he wants. It won't change his wrong answer on his test. We come to the last mark on the path toward vibrancy from the book of Acts. We end really where we began. Our first mark of vibrancy is God's empowering presence. It is only as we plug into our power source, the Holy Spirit, and place all our confidence in what He can do in us and through us that we discover something much better and more vibrant than trying to go at it alone. That was our first week from Acts chapter 1. It's also where we end this morning in our study in the first 12 chapters of Acts. We see this morning the early church plugging into their power source, staying connected with the power of God. And how do we stay connected to that power? Prayer. Look with me, Acts chapter 12 in your Bibles. Now, there are several themes running through this section of Scripture that Dennis just read. There's the theme of persecution. There's the theme of of foolishness, of trying to fight God. And then we see this theme that I'm focusing in on this morning, the power of God as it relates to our praying. And so our final mark of vibrancy is this. Our battles are won on our knees. Our battles are won on our knees. Not profound to know, profound and difficult to practice. But you show me someone who's vibrant in their walk with the Lord, and I'll show you a person who's absorbed in prayer. A vibrant life, a vibrant church is marked by prayer. And prayer is a radical interference with the plans of men. It is a radical interference with the status quo. And brothers and sisters in Christ, our battles are won on our knees. Every one of them. Are you living each day as if this is the means by which God grants power? Are you fully convinced that our source of power is prayer? You never outgrow this. You never get skilled enough, competent enough, and trained enough where this dependence is no longer necessary. This dependence never changes. Never. And the longer we walk with the Lord the greater the danger that we figure, I'm all set, I have the tools now, and we neglect prayer. And so our passage this morning in Acts 12 takes us from a self-absorbed, power-hungry king to a church totally absorbed in prayer to the king of kings. It moves from an interrupted plan to an interrupted prayer meeting. And that forms our outline this morning. First of all, we see the self-absorbed Herod. The self-absorbed Herod. Follow along as I read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death 
with the sword. Now, you need to realize that this is all politically motivated. Herod's attempt to wipe out the Christians is for no other reason, really, than to move up the ladder of society and and in his own political ambitions by making a name for himself among the Jews. And one way to do that would be to attack the Christians. So he ordered the execution of one of the top men in the Christian movement, James. And since that received applause and stroked his ego, he continues on. And verse 3 says, When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Getting rid of Peter would be getting rid of the one, one of the most vocal leaders of the Christians. Herod thinks he's so smart. This isn't the first time that attempts were made to shut down Peter. He'd been put in jail before, and that didn't stop him from preaching. You see, when you are passionately in love with Jesus Christ and you're transformed by the gospel, nothing can stop you from speaking about him. Nothing. But Herod, who was in love with himself, saw an opportunity to gain popularity among the Jews, so he went after the top dog. And and he has all the plan worked out, and by all appearances, it was a brilliant plan. And the end of verse 3 informs us that it was during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It was the Passover time. And Herod didn't want anything to run parallel with the Passover, so he figured he would wait until the Passover was over before conducting this, this kangaroo court and execute Peter. And an added plus to all of this was the volume of people that would be in town for the Passover and the maximum coverage Herod would get when he pulled this big thing off of removing this powerful, dynamic, strong leader of the church. Folks, if Satan can take a key man down and display him before a watching world, he will attempt to do that. The adversary will stop at nothing to disrupt the church, destroy it if he could. And so Herod's masterful plan of putting Peter on display like Jesus had been on display before Pilate is set in motion. Peter is well guarded as a total of 16 soldiers are called to this one task of watching Peter. Four men would take a three-hour shift so that around the clock, Peter was well-guarded. Yet Herod is just another in a long line of self-deceived, power-hungry fools who think you can fight God and win. Remember Gamaliel's advice in Acts chapter 5, verse 38? Acts 5, 38, and I'm not sure where Gamaliel was in in terms of his own beliefs in Jesus Christ, but he says something profound when he advises the authorities to leave the Christians alone. Do you remember that scene? He gives the reason why the authorities should leave the Christians alone. He says in Acts 5, 38, For if this is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now there's a smart man. Herod, not so much. He thinks he can fight God and come out on the winning side. Never. Because God fights back. 
And folks, I can't think of anyone worse fighting than God. (laughs) Are you fighting God? You're not going to win. The scene shifts from self-absorbed Herod to the prayer-absorbed church. The prayer-absorbed church. Look at verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. Well, for how long? (laughs) How long is he going to be kept? Now, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the early church because I can really feel for the church here. One of their leaders, James, was executed, and now another one of their key leaders is imprisoned, about to be executed. They knew that this Herod character was a madman. So this had to be a rough time for the church. Well, what did they do? Verse 5 answers that. Follow along as I read verse 5 again as we see what it is that they did. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church organized a prison relief committee. No, it doesn't say that. They all started praying. Reminded of the husband and wife who were discussing the condition of things in their marriage and in their home. And the husband then turns to his wife and says, Honey, Let's pray. And she replies, why? Is it that bad? (laughs) That's how the only time we go to the Lord. Prayer is viewed as as something you do when things get really bad. We're praying about it? Wow, we're really in trouble. As long as things are moving along somewhat without incident, then why pray? Well, give this church credit that they had formed the habit of praying, for we see back in its earliest years that they were devoted to praying. But also give them credit, they knew what to do when things were real bad also. And the turning point of this story, Acts chapter 12, is found in the second half of verse 5 when it begins with the word, but. Underline that, circle that, note it. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's the turning point right there. Now, the word earnestly, ektonos, it's a medical term, and it has to do with stretching a muscle to its limit. It's the idea of intensely doing it, a total effort. The word is only used three times in the New Testament, that word earnestly. It's used in 1 Peter 4, 8 in describing how we are to love one another. We are to stretch our love and intensely and with maximum effort love one another, 1 Peter 4, 8. It's used in Acts 26, 7 in speaking of our service to the Lord. We're not to serve the Lord half-heartedly, but serve Him until we work up a spiritual sweat. The third time we find the word earnestly is here as it relates to prayer. We could summarize it as this. The Christian is to serve intensely. The Christian is to love intensely. The Christian is to pray intensely. The church here in Acts 12 agonized in prayer. And I can just imagine that if Herod got wind of this church praying, he might have even laughed. That's their plan. Pray. That's all they can do? Well, they have no government officials on their side. They they have no key to the jail. They have no power to overtake the soldiers. They can't do anything. Praying Christians seemed of little threat to Herod's plan. 
I heard of a ship that was sinking in the middle of a storm. And the captain called out to the crew, and he said, Does anyone here know how to pray? One man stepped forward and said, Yes, sir, I know how to pray. And the captain said, Wonderful. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. (laughs) Listen, the church is never at a disadvantage when all it can do is pray. Never. And when the storm rages around us, God throws a life jacket our way. It's the power of prayer that keeps this church afloat. It is the power of prayer that holds us up. It is the power of prayer that is better than any single life-saving device out there. The more connected we are to our power source, the calmer we are in adverse situations. Peter is bound with two chains. He's chained to one soldier on his left, and he's chained to one soldier on his right. And there are two other soldiers outside the cell. And what is Peter doing? Verse 6 tells us he was sleeping. And we'll see in a moment he's in a deep sleep. I don't know about you, but if I was on the jail floor with two people chained to me the night before my execution, I'm not sure I'm getting much sleep. Somebody said, if you can keep your cool while all others are losing theirs, you just don't understand the situation. (laughs) Well, that may be true in some cases, but Peter understood the situation. He knew what was going on. But what else did he know? Peter knew that God would meet all of his needs. Peter knew that he was in God's hands. Peter knew that God was in control and that the heart of the king was in God's hands. And so Peter is sound asleep. And in a country that spends millions of dollars on sleeping pills and tranquilizers, this is quite refreshing. He's able to sleep through this. Later, Peter writes in his first epistle, 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And honestly, I need to do a lot better job in casting my cares upon him. And so the self-absorbed Herod is matched by the prayer-absorbed church, and it leads to a third thing, an interrupted plan. It leads to an interrupted plan. For Herod, everything's going according to plan. Things seem to be quite secure. He has Peter where he wants him, and as soon as the Passover is done, he can again get some recognition from the populace by putting this man to death. But there was something about to happen that Herod didn't figure on. Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Now, some of you who can sleep through anything aren't surprised that Peter sleeps through this bright light that suddenly fills the cell. But what happens next should surprise you. Peter's then touched by an angel. (laughs) Hit by an angel is more like it. Verse 7 continues, the angel struck Peter On the side, he just didn't tap him on the shoulder. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Now, folks, imagine having an angel for your alarm clock. Now, man, if you're on top of your game and your wife wakes you up in the morning, you can say, I do have an angel. All right, enough of that. 
The angel here even helps him get dressed. We won't touch that one. Amazingly, the two soldiers who were chained to Peter didn't wake up when the chains fell off of Peter's wrist and in all this commotion. Remember those sleeping pills we're spending millions of dollars on? God has a pretty good sleeping pill of his own. God's anesthetic keeps them asleep. The two soldiers guarding the outside of the cell are also out cold. And so Peter and the angel, they walk right past these soldiers without incidents. They come to the locked iron gate, and it opens by itself. The word is automatos, where we get the word automatic. The door opened automatically, like one of those doors that swing open at Walmart when you walk towards them. And Peter's kind of just going through the motions of all this. He figures he's seeing a vision. And it isn't until the angel leaves Peter's side in verse 11 that it all dawns on him as to what happened. And Peter's a free man. He got a get-out-of-jail-free card. Herod trying to detain Peter is like trying to keep water in a net. It can't be done. No prison can hold the servant of God that God wants out. What's the true nature of our strength? Well, it wasn't in Peter's ability. He was helplessly chained to two guards in a locked prison with a very bleak future. God can deliver anytime, anywhere, any place, and anyhow. So no matter how difficult the trials you may be going through right now or or how disappointing the news, get a hold of this. God is still on the throne and everything is under his control. No matter how grim your situation may appear right now, it's no contest for God. God deals in the impossibles. He's present in your prison. He can and does interrupt the plans of men. Herod still foolishly figures he can fight God. He just doesn't get it. Peter does get it, and it dawns on him what just happened. Well, now what does he do? He's been miraculously released from prison. I ask you, what would be your first move? Well, I don't know about you, but if I was miraculously released from prison, my first thought would be to get out of town. I might run as far as I can out of the area and go hide somewhere. Now, it seems strategic on Peter's part as he considered all that just happened, to go where the believers were gathered to tell them this amazing story. That's what I think verse 12 suggests when it uses the word consider or it dawns on him. Might it be on Peter's mind to go to where they would be praying to confirm that God was still in control and to show how powerful God is? See, a key purpose in prayer is for it to strengthen our faith in a God that answers prayer. And I don't want to go further than the text here, but it seems to me that Peter going to the house where the believers were gathered was to strengthen these believers and their faith, particularly in a time when the persecution was hot and and their morale might have taken a hit. And I believe there's a principle here for us. We need to take the time as believers to proclaim God's power in answered prayer. We heard a little of that this morning. I mean, we have the request part down pretty well, but let's work a little bit more on the praise side of things. 
Because when you give a praise report to answered prayer, you help build into others' lives a reminder and confidence that God is in control. This church that turned to prayer under difficult circumstances, believing that God answers prayer, still had some growing to do in believing what God can do. And we see that next in an interrupted prayer meeting. An interrupted prayer meeting. Peter goes to the house where the church, where the church was gathered. It speaks of Mary. It's a different Mary than the ones we know in Scripture. She's the mother of John Mark, the one who wrote Gospel of Mark and later deserted Paul. This Mary had some money, it would assume, for she had a house large enough to accommodate a large gathering of believers, and she had a servant, a maid, a young girl named Rhoda, who answered the door. And verse 13 tells us that Peter knocked at the door of the gates. He's banging on the outside door in the middle of the street, in the middle of the night. Peter's a marked man, and I kind of figure that most people in town knew Peter. But the longer he stood outside the door knocking, the greater risk the commotion would draw attention to Peter. And a person who's been released from prison, you don't want a lot of attention drawn to you. Rhoda, whose name means Rose, comes to the door, and Peter must be saying something because his voice is recognized by Rhoda. Now, here's a little humor for you in verse 14. I love this. It says, when Rhoda answered, recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I mean, she's so excited, she forgets to let him in. It'd be like your kid comes home from college, is knocking outside your door. You you hear the voice on the other side. You're so excited, you run back to tell your spouse and you don't let your kid in. That's what it'd be like. It gets even funnier. This prayer meeting is going on. Rhoda interrupts their praying to say, in essence... We don't need to pray any longer about this for the answer standing outside. I mean, here they are praying, Oh God, please protect Peter. Oh God, please help him be a witness for you. Oh God, please deliver him, if it's your will, from prison. And Rhoda says, Peter's been delivered. Oh, go away, Rhoda. Can't you see we're praying? (laughs) Please, Lord, deliver Peter from prison. (laughs) Their exact words to Rhoda are, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. The answer to their prayers is standing at the door, literally. And just as the prison door needed to be opened to get Peter out, the door of answered prayer had to be opened to get Peter in. I wonder, what answers to prayer is knocking at your door, and in your unbelief, you're not letting it in? We pray with great zeal, but not always with a whole lot of faith. A story is told about a small town that had historically been dry, no alcohol in the town whatsoever, but then a local businessman decided to build a tavern. Well, a group of Christians didn't want this tavern in their backyard, and so a bunch of them from a local church were so concerned about it, they planned an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. It just so happened that shortly thereafter, lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. The owner of the bar sued the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible. 
But the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. And the presiding judge said this. After his initial review of the case stated that no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. When it comes to prayer, we sometimes pray with our minds on hold and our mouths on automatic. We pray and maybe even earnestly, but we struggle to believe that God just might answer it. These believers had more faith to believe that it was Peter's guardian angel than it could possibly have been Peter. And what was their response when they finally go and they open the door and they see that Rhoda was right? Peter is standing there. What was their response? Verse 16 tells us, it says, they were astonished. Surprised by answered prayer. That ever happened to you? I don't think I'm alone on this. You pray and you pray and you pray for someone to come to faith, and they do, and we're astonished. We pray and we pray for God to show off his power in providing for a need, and he does, we're surprised. We ask God to touch someone's heart or, or to open some door, and when he does, we are what? Astonished. Surprised that it actually happens. Peter came to this house to show the believers, look who's in control, people. God's in control. We have nothing to fear. I don't know what you're facing right now that might seem bigger than life to you. I don't know what it is that has you overcome with fear. Graduates, as you face the future, there there are likely a lot of unknowns, an inundation of choices, expectations from others, expectations you place on yourself. You may be here today with regrets and, or broken dreams or guilt or even feel imprisoned by the choices you've made or how life is turning out. Listen, just as God was in control of his servant in prison, he is in control of your situation right now. Just as God interrupted the plans of a self-absorbed egomaniac, he can interrupt that plan that Satan and others might have to harm you. God is in control of your life, past mistakes, present needs, future concerns, all of it. You can sleep well, for God is in control. He wants you to soar, to be vibrant, to stay connected to your power source, because all of our battles are won where? On our knees. A man and a guide were climbing the Weishorn in the Alps, it was a stormy, and, and they were making their climb on the sheltered side of the peak, but there's this major storm going on. When they finally reached the summit, they were filled with exhilaration, the, the man and the guide. Well, the novel hiker forgot about the fierce winds, and he leaped up, and he was nearly blown over by the edge to the glacier below. The, gla- the, the, the guide, he grabbed a hold of him and he shouted, On your knees, sir. You are safe here. Only on your knees. Loved ones, Church of First Baptist, we are safe here. Only on our knees. Our source of power is prayer. A vibrant life is marked by being on our knees. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 3, in quoting Psalm 34, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. We go through a section on prayer and the first thing that shows up is guilt. May that guilt not immobilize us, but rather may it uh, energize us and motivate us to be more and more about prayer. For your sake and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.